insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Okay, hour three is here. The number to dial 888-914-9149. That number is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Check it out. We'll go first to Bob in Chicago. Hello, Bob, and welcome. Hi, Patrick. Uh, So I'm wondering something. Uh, Adam and Eve sinned and thereby passed on original sin to their entire posterity. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, would they have confirmed their posterity in original grace, or would their posterity still have to go through the uh, ordeal of being tempted and possibly sinning individually? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a very good question, and St. Thomas Aquinas treats of that issue in the Summa Theologiae, and um, I don't have that in front of me, but I'll try to go from memory. What he says is that, of course, this is all speculative. We don't know what would have happened or could have happened. We can speculate. So let's speculate. So let's say that Adam and Eve had maintained their original innocence by passing the test and not eating the apple from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they passed. Then they would have been confirmed in this state, and they they would have passed the test. In other words, they would not have fallen, and then they would not transmit to their later generations, their, their descendants, the effects of the fall. So that's the first thing we could say if they had passed the test. Now, what about everyone else after that? Well, as I recall, St. Thomas says that on the one hand, we would not have received this fallen nature. We would be conceived in the unfallen nature, in a nature of original grace, etc. But yet it would be the case that each individual human being would then have to undergo this test. So this, again, being speculation— we could say one option would be that everybody after Adam and Eve would have to undergo their own test individually. They would either pass or fail, and then the consequences would ensue. But we would have a leg up, so to speak, in that if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, they would not have lost all those preternatural gifts, and we therefore would have inherited them. That would have made us in a far stronger, far better position to deal with the test when it came. So it's, that seems reasonable to me. Yeah, that seems seems uh, pretty logical. Also, Adam and Eve, uh, if they had passed the, that original test, would they have been further tempted during their life, or was that I don't sort think of so. like the? You don't think so? Yeah, I don't think so. Again, uh, obviously, we're speculating here, but I don't think so for this reason: that by passing the test, they would have become confirmed in. In grace, they were in grace originally, but they weren't confirmed. It wasn't made irrevocable for them. And an analogy to me would be the test of the angels. So, in the case of the the good angels who passed their test, they immediately were confirmed in grace, and they beheld God face to face in the beatific vision. The fallen angels, of course, were cast down. I think something analogous would be theologically and biblically um, likely that Adam and Eve would then have become immune from temptation. They would have passed the test. They're now immune. That's what I think would happen. Yeah, it would seem that way to me. Well, 
Thanks. Yeah, I was just I've I've wondered about that for a long time, and I just uh, thought I I thought you might uh, know uh, have some uh, some uh, insight into that. Uh, thanks. Well, Patrick. that's my little bit of insight right there. Um, if you say oh, what I would recommend, I, I, what I would recommend is go to the Summa Theologiae, and when you okay. when you get there, you're going to want to zero in on. I'm going to tell you which part it is. Um, you want the, let's see, you want to go to the second part, and this is where, okay, so you're going to want to go to the, the no, I think we're still in the first part. So we're in the prima part, so you're in the first part. You want to go to section, uh, the section beginning with question 75 in which he takes up the question of the nature of the soul in terms of the creation of man. And from there, he starts getting into Adam and Eve and the fall and the results of the fall. So that would encompass questions 75 through 102. And that's where he talks about this. Great. Great. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thanks for all you do for us. Uh, Oh, you're most welcome. You're really a blessing to a lot of people. Thank you, Bob. And you are to us here at Relevant Radio, too. Thank you. Let's go to uh, Augustine in, let's see, oh, Augustine and Mighty Soul in Albuquerque. Hello, kids. Welcome. Hello, Patrick. Hi there. What's your question today? Um, I was asking if um, when angels take the test to become actual angels, Mm-hmm. And the fallen angels fail the test. Um, mm-hmm. Did do the fallen angels ever be able to retake the test? Oh, that's a really good question. So they were all angels, all good angels, you might say, at the beginning. And then when they took the test, they didn't become angels. They already were angels by nature. But the good angels became perfected in grace. And the fallen angels, we call them now demons or devils because they fell from grace. But for angels, their decision, it's different from human beings. So you know how in this life as a human being, you can you can do something wrong and then you say, oh, I shouldn't have done that, I'm sorry. And then you get on the right, tra- the right path again, then maybe you fall into sin again. That's, that's common for human beings. We make mistakes. We learn from our mistakes. Yeah. We change our minds. Some people are good, 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 good. Then they do something bad and so on. So that's the way human beings are because we're in time and we don't know things all at once. Now, the angels are different from us because the angels being pure spirits, they know all the things that they're going to know. They know all at once. And their decisions are permanent. Ours are temporary usually as humans. But theirs are permanent. So when an angel passed or failed the test, that was it for him. There there would be no point in trying to take the test again. There is no other test after that. His decision is permanent because of the nature of his mind and his knowledge of everything he's going to know. He knows all at once. So he has um, an, an opportunity when the test came. They were given an opportunity to make their decision, but their their decision was final. So unlike human beings, angels can't change their minds. Not that they not that they don't have free will, but because their nature is different from ours, once they've made their decision, it's permanent, and they don't change back. So there could be no test second time around for them. 
And, and think about what that would mean. If there were, it would also mean that some of the good angels who passed the test the first time around could say, eh, I'm not going to go with God this time, and then they could become fallen angels. And that, of course, can't happen. They're in heaven. They see God face to face for all eternity. It's a big topic, but I'm, I hope that helps you a little bit. Does that make more sense? Yeah. Thanks, Patrick. Have you ever seen your dad or somebody else pour concrete, like for a sidewalk or for a patio? Yeah. You know how when it's first poured, it's fresh and wet? You could take a yeah. stick and write the date or write your name in the concrete? Yeah. Or put your handprint in the concrete like that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like how human beings are. The concrete is still changeable. So you can put a handprint or you can write your name or something. But the angels are different. So for the angels, it's like once the concrete has dried after a day or two, if you went to that same concrete and you pushed your hand on it as hard as you could, it's the same concrete, it's the same hand, but you couldn't make your handprint in it. Why? Do you know why you couldn't do it? No. Because the concrete had hardened. It had, it had dried up. So now it, it can't receive your handprint. It can't, you can't push down on it anymore. So if you're thinking about analogies here, the hard concrete that you might try to make a handprint in, but you can't, is kind of like the angels. Their decision yeah. is permanent. You can't change it. But you and I, it's like the concrete is still wet and you can change it. And then you may say, oh, I don't like that handprint. So then you take this, the, the piece of wood or the trowel and then you, you smooth it over and you make it smooth again. Then you try another handprint. Eh, I don't like that one. Then you, you go over it with the trowel again. You know what a trowel is? It's a tool that they use to make concrete smooth. Yeah. I so do. maybe that'll help you think about it. Thanks, Patrick. You're welcome. Now, is Madi Soul there? Does she have a question? Yep. You're Madi Soul, Patrick. Hello, Patrick. Hi, Cyrus. Hi, um, Madi Soul. How old hi. are you? I'm eight. Okay, great. Um, I have two questions today. Sure. My first question is, um, why can't we say the A word during Lent? The A word. I'm trying to think of what a angel. Um, and then my second question is, um, why can't we say, um, why can't we say, um, Alleluia during Lent? During Lent. Um, but the second question is, um, is it a sin to say Alleluia? Is it a sin to say Alleluia? Okay. During Lent? I think I understand. Is that what you mean by the A word, Alleluia? Yes. Okay. So first, no, it's not a sin. You can say it. It's a, it's a word of praising God, and we can always praise God. So you can always say Alleluia or Hallelujah, as it's sometimes spelled with an H. So no, there's no sin. It's actually a good thing if you're praising God. That's a Hebrew word. So if you're praising God and praying and you're saying Hallelujah or Alleluia, that's just fine, and there's no problem, there's no sin. The reason that it's not said during Lent is because that word in Hebrew is a sign of joy and celebration. 
And in the season of Lent, we are going through, like Jesus fasting for 40 days in the desert. He wasn't celebrating. He was preparing for his public ministry. So for the 40 days of Lent, we concentrate on the sufferings of Jesus and the sacrifices he made for us. And this is why we give something up during Lenten, the Lenten season, as a way to offer up a little sacrifice to be like Jesus and to gain control. Like if, let's say, that you really love candy and you just had to have candy every day. Well, if you gave up candy for Lent, it's a way for you to say, I'm going to control my appetite for candy. I'm going to be the master of that appetite. I'm not going to have candy, even though I want candy. So for that reason, during the Lenten season, we don't say Alleluia, not because there's anything wrong with it, but because it, that's a word for celebration and joy and things like that. And right now during this season, we're concentrating more on the more sorrowful aspects of Jesus's ministry. Does that make sense? And that's at Mass. But you can say Alleluia right now. You can praise God and say Alleluia all day long. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's totally fine. But it's at Mass that we don't say that for that reason. You see? Okay. Yes. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Okay. Have you made your first Holy Communion yet? No, it's all the way in May. Oh, well, it'll be here before you know it. What a big day that's going to be. Do you have your dress picked out and everything? Yes. That's great. Well, I'm happy to hear that you're thinking about these things. How old is your brother, Augustine? It's Augustine. Augustine. Um, and, yeah, and he's 11. 11. Wonderful. And you probably have other brothers and sisters too, right? No, just him. Is that so? Okay. Well, you two make a good team. Sometimes we do. <laughs> I bet. I can just imagine. Well, that's good. Thank you for the call, Mighty Soul, and Augustine. We have a son named Augustine, too, spelled the same way, but we pronounce it Augustine. But Augustine would be certainly how it's pronounced in Spanish. So well done. Thank you for the questions, kids, and thanks to your mom for letting you call me today. Appreciate it. Uh, let's go to Sherry now in Helena, Montana. Hi, Sherry. Good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well, thanks. I'm supposed to ask. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm wondering, uh, it seems to me a long time ago, I learned that if only Eve had eaten the apple and Adam had refused, mm-hmm. that the sin would have only been Eve's personal sin. And since uh, Adam is the father of all the nations, that he would not have passed down all of the stuff that we lost. Mm-hmm. Have, That's true. That That's a concept known as federal headship. And federal yeah. headship is, is, is one way of describing this, and that refers to that the sin that we inherit, or the, the sinful state, rather, that we inherit, we inherit from Adam. Eve did sin mm-hmm. first, and then Adam did. So it's interesting when you think about it that Eve fell into sin before Adam did, but the fall, so-called comes to us from Adam. So our fallen human nature comes to us from our father, Adam. That's true. Yeah. Too bad. (laughs) I'll say. Can you imagine the line in heaven 
of people waiting to talk to Father Adam when we get to heaven and ask him, yes. why'd you do it? <laughs> why'd no, you do that? that apple. Yeah. Just one bite. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, well, I thank you for that. You're welcome. Did we cover it, okay, or is there anything more? Okay, you got it, Sherry. Thank you. Well, we'll take a break then, and this will be a good time for you to dial 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Email patrick at relevantradio.com. Hey, Len Beckman in Los Angeles, appreciate your email and your comments about the sins of the sons of the fathers. I got it, I read it, and I appreciate it. Thank you. I'll be right back. Today, we'd like to thank Tammy, who's listening in Florida, for donating her 2016 BMW Z4. Cool. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com car. That's relevantradio.com car. This is The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio and relevantradio.com. You can call 888-914-9149 and be on the air. I would love to talk to you. And uh, the email is patrick at relevantradio.com. See if we can get to some some of those as well. Excuse me. Let's go to Kathy in Smithfield, Rhode Island. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Good morning. Um, my question is, let me lower this radio, excuse me. Um, Why don't you turn all the way off? Because we'll get confusing if you don't. Okay, good. Okay. This is first time calling. Um, when at Mass, um, if I offer the Mass, say for my parents, the repose of the soul of my parents, does it count toward um, a sort of indulgence for their souls? Or does it only count when the priest offers the mass, like if we pay for a mass to be said. Um, the reason I'm asking is because mm-hmm. I'm, um, Ash Wednesday, uh, I, I had a friend pass away on that day, and mm-hmm. at mass I offered it to the repose of the soul of my friend. I'm just wondering if that it would count for an, a form of indulgence. Yes, and it, it's not, strictly speaking, an indulgence per se. An indulgence is where you you have a portion of or all of the necessity to do penance for your sins in your life that have been forgiven, remitted, or removed. So you can gain an indulgence and then offer that. This is what is called a suffrage. To offer a suffrage is where you choose or elect to, to apply the merits of an indulgence, not to yourself, but to a soul in purgatory. So yes, if that's what you're, if that's what you're referring to, then yes, it has that effect. And you can offer indulgences for those souls in purgatory. Uh, you can also do it in a way that is not formally in the form of an indulgence. So, for example, to offer your Holy Communion for the soul of somebody who's in purgatory, like your friend, may she rest in peace. Uh, prayers, almsgivings, um, pilgrimages, other things, reading the Holy Bible prayerfully for half an hour, praying the rosary in groups. These are all things that we can do that can be applied for the souls in purgatory. So if that's what you're asking, yes, that certainly can be done. Okay, so that is what I'm asking. Now, if you say, Lord, have mercy on his soul or her soul, Mm -hmm. now, is that a a form of um, 
without souls in purgatory? Yes, it Ooh. is. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. So whenever you maybe have a pious invocation, um, I remember when I was a kid, and maybe you do too, holy cards that would have a pious invocation, a little prayer or something like that. And at the mm-hmm. bottom of the holy card, it might say 100 days indulgence or 300 days indulgence. Do you remember those holy cards? I do. Yeah. And what was, I mean, they were true, but they were confusing. And most people, probably including you and certainly including me, most people thought that meant you get 100 days off purgatory. But that's not what they ever meant. What they meant was this is the, you get the indulgence, the equivalent of if you had done 100 days of penance in this life. So we don't know what time is like in purgatory. We know there's a beginning and there's an end, but we don't really know, you know, how do they experience time and to what extent do they? We don't know that. So those prayer cards that used to say 300 days or 100 days or one year, that was the, the church saying this indulgence is the equivalent of if you had done 100 days of penance in this life. Now, the church has subsequently streamlined that, so now there are just partial and plenary indulgences. Plenary means all of it, partial means some of it, but there's no amount given. So pious invocations prayers for the souls of the departed and many other things are all things that you can apply even those little prayers that come up from your heart does that help Kathy? yes it does thank you so much you're welcome thank you i recall my mother when i was a little kid she taught me to um say um, may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of god rest in peace amen whenever i pass by a cemetery. And who doesn't pass by cemeteries from time to time, right? So from the time I was a little kid, that was a little custom that stuck with me. I can't say that I did it every time I went by a cemetery, but I did it many times. And it was a good reminder to me that the souls in purgatory need our prayers. So perhaps that's for all of you listening right now, that's something you can incorporate into your own personal life. And that is when you see a cemetery, you go to a cemetery, you drive by a cemetery, Maybe take that moment to offer a prayer for the repose of the souls in purgatory, and don't worry, because they will not forget you. And when they're in heaven, and maybe if you have to go to purgatory, they will not forget you, and they will pray for you. So win-win, right? Let's go to Emily now in Jasper, Indiana. Hi, Emily. Hi, thank you. Um, sure. I have a little story, and before I started, I just want to say that I learn a lot by listening to you and also your callers. Thank you. My story is, uh, you're welcome, many, many years ago uh, when I was still working, um, there was a gentleman in another department, and I would have meetings with him, and he would always, any opportunity he had, he would knock the Catholic faith. He knew I was Catholic. Mm -hmm. He would criticize the Catholic faith. He would ridicule me. He would make snide comments, and... um, Unfortunately, I I couldn't, in my heart, I could defend my faith, but not verbally. I just, I just went silent. Anyway, um, fast forward one time, I think I had reached my limit to do that because the Holy Spirit has a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. But in a meeting, he, it was during Lent, and he started up again about my Catholic faith and knocking it. And he said, Was this recently? As a child. No, no, it was many years ago. He remembers that as a child, because of the Catholics, um, when they would eat in the cafeteria, they would be served fish. 
And it was all because of the Catholics. And, um, I, and let I me guess, him, and he didn't like fish, <laughs> so he was blaming no, the Catholics. I said, right, <laughs> and I said, let me guess, you never ate the fish. And he said, no, I didn't. Mm. And then I said, I said, well, that explains that fish is brain food. Now, the <laughs> thing was, I said that in a meeting with a bunch of other managers, and I just kind of smiled and got up and walked out because it was the end of the meeting. And, you know, he never, ever, ever again criticized the Catholic faith, said a word to me, ridiculed me, nothing. It all, it all ended. But, and I don't know what religion he was. I just know he was very active in his religion, which was kind of strange to me that he could be mm-hmm. so ridiculing to another religion. But um, <laughs> because of Lent now, it brought back that memory and it just made me smile. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to share it real quick. I'm thought, glad you did. That's a that's a fun story. Sometimes a schoolyard bully just needs a poke in the chops now and then to make him stop. So. <laughs> and that did it. Yeah. Thank you. Well, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> and um, I'm sure that he never forgot you either. And who knows, maybe if he's Catholic now, maybe the whole journey started for him when you made that comment and he started thinking about how mean he was. Let me give you a Bible verse that you can... Take some consolation. I know you don't feel bad about it now, but maybe for those who are going through something like what you went through, Matthew 5, 10, and 11, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think that's very comforting, don't you? I do, and thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome, Emily. Great chatting with you. Thank you for the call. Hang in there. Uh, let's go to Adam now in Plymouth, Wisconsin. Good morning, Adam, and welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Patrick. Patrick, leaning into a conversation I heard on Wednesday on the Drew Mariani show about a St. Leonard of Port Maurice mm-hmm. and a sermon that Drew alluded to. In reading the, uh, I guess, the cliff notes from the show, that sermon's got some statistics that aren't necessarily rosy as far as the number that make it across the goal line. I'm curious what your, what your two cents are on that. Do you look at that sermon and saying, Hey, that's pre divine mercy. God's mercy covers that gap covers that base. Or do you look at it with a different lens? So I want to make sure when you, when you say across the goal line, do you mean salvation? Those who go to heaven? Yeah. Yeah, okay. make it to heaven, or or as he alludes to, make it to purgatory even. I think it was something like five people out of 33,000 made it mm-hmm. to purgatory slash heaven. I remember that story, as I recall, it's something to do with um, look at a tree and see all the leaves, and then a big gust of wind came, and most of the leaves fell. And yeah. the, the message was like, well, those represent the number of people who were damned, and the few leaves remaining on the tree were the ones who were saved. Was it something like that? Yeah, very much so. I guess referencing the dogma of hell and, and the similar book by Father mm-hmm. X. Shupi, you know, yeah. the commentary where, you know, souls will say, like, souls are falling to hell like snowflakes. Yeah. I, I guess mm-hmm. I look at that and say, you know, that it's not necessarily a message that's encouraging, but is this a pre-divine mercy theme? Do you, do you look at divine mercy mm-hmm. changing the game? <clears throat> Yes, I certainly do. Um, a few thoughts on that. Number one, Jesus, he's, he seems 
more often than not to suggest that fewer people are saved than are damned. So he says things like the road to perdition or the road to hell is wide and well-traveled, and the gate that leads to eternal life is narrow and few find it. Or he says many are called and few are chosen. Um, And there are different ways of interpreting that passage, but certainly if we're looking at those who are called to eternal life, um, it suggests that many people are not going to go to eternal life. So my reading of the Gospels and my reading of what Jesus says gives me the distinct impression that more people are damned than are saved. Um, But now you mentioned the divine mercy. So this is since the 1930s, I guess, is when the Lord started appearing to St. Faustina. And it seems as though this is a special emphasis on sinners turning to God's mercy before the end times and my reading of the uh, of the divine mercy what's the word i'm looking for here the the diary of saint faustina suggests to me that it's very apocalyptic and at least a half a dozen times our lady and jesus say that the end of the world is right around the corner now i don't know what right around the corner means but as far as a game changer is concerned yes i can see the point that you're making that maybe heretofore the number of people who went to hell was greater than the number who went to heaven that's entirely possible. I, I don't know. Um, but it seems to be that is what Jesus is saying in the Gospels. But there's no reason to say that Jesus couldn't try to, or that he didn't reverse this trend as we approach the end times, how far away we are, I don't know. So is the divine mercy a game changer? I'd like to think so, <laughs> especially, you yeah. know, if we're thinking about all of our loved ones and friends and ourselves, you know. Yeah, spot on. I mean, that's that's my hope and prayer as well, that uh, divine mercy becomes a, a grace that those of us that are living in this strange, awkward time that we're presented with that grace, that maybe those in the, you know, the 1700s, 1800s didn't have that opportunity that we're blessed with yeah. today. Could be. You know, another thing that comes to my mind as you and I are talking about this, Adam, is that Jesus, he says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find any faith on the earth? And and so that has always kind of rung in my ears. I'm thinking, does he mean by that? And I think he does, that things will get so bad and there'll be such a great apostasy and such a falling away and such a hardening of the heart that the vast majority of human beings will be on the high road to, to hell and that very few people will be saved maybe you know numerically at that time that's one thing that's always given me pause another thing that the lord says is that if those days were not shortened even the elect would be deceived so it suggests that if the vast majority of people are going to be deceived but even it will get so bad that even those who are destined for heaven and who will go to heaven would be in danger of being deceived so in his mercy the lord would shorten the time of that tribulation i mean these are enigmatic statements and I, I don't mm-hmm. want to press too hard on them, but I think they are part of this bigger picture that you're talking about here. Yeah, duly noted. It, it's, it's heavy stuff, that's for sure. Yeah, good stuff to think about, though. Well, thank you, Adam. How's your Lent going so far, three days into it? Are you doing well uh, so going far? Going well. Yeah, yeah going well. Uh, doing Exodus 90 with a few others this year. So that's rugged. Technically, Lent is, uh, yeah, it's, it's rugged. That's a good adjective for it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going well, though. Uh, 
started listening to you, Patrick, about three years ago after living at Curcio. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's been a game changer for me and uh, really behind the Curcio movement that led to Exodus 90 and a few other things. But yeah, it's going well. I actually got the day off today, was able to go to mass with my wife this morning. Otherwise, nice. I wouldn't have had the chance to give you a call. I normally well, catch I'm glad you, you did uh, in the evening hours. I'm glad you did, Adam. Hang in there. I, I've not done Exodus 90, but I have friends who have and I admire them. It, it, it is rugged, but apparently the results are spectacular. At the end of 90 days. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It definitely bears fruit. And, and Patrick, I know you haven't lived at Curcio yet, too, but I'd be remiss to uh, miss the opportunity to invite you to live at Curcio. Thank bring you. Bring it back to the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. So you're De Coloris. Thank you. I appreciate De the Coloris. De yeah. Coloris. Thanks, Adam. Okay, well, I'm going to take a break, and we will just bask in the afterglow of Adam's call. Those of you who are doing Exodus 90 or some variant thereof, more power to you. I admire you for doing that. That's cool. I'll be right back. Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Czestochowa, and the infant child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at relevantradio.com slash Poland. That's relevantradio.com slash Poland. Compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Let's see. Did I mention that the 888-914-9149 number is, meant, is uh, sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters? I think I did, but just to make sure you know. Let's go to Ben now in the Bay Area. Good morning, Ben. Welcome. Hi, Patrick. Um, my question relates to something you said a few callers ago at the end of okay. the call. You said, um, can you imagine the line in heaven waiting to ask Father Adam, uh, why he Why'd did what do he it? did. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. that. Um, does the church teach that Adam and Eve are in heaven? And if yes, how did they get there? I mean, we have confession and penance to get into a state of grace to hopefully make it to heaven, but how would they have gotten there if they are there? That's my question. Okay, so let's take that up in light of what it says in Hebrews 11. This would be a good place to, to answer your question. In Hebrews 11, we see kind of a, of a panoply of, or a cavalcade of Old Testament figures. And it begins in verse 4 with Abel. It doesn't begin with Adam and Eve. It's interesting. And I'll, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old received divine approval. This is part of the answer to your question. How were they saved? I'll reread that. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Adam and Eve hoped for the Redeemer. They were told there would be a Redeemer in Genesis 3.15, where the Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. You will strike at his heel, and he will crush your head. Some translations say she will crush, crush your head, referring to Our Lady. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate crusher of heads when it comes to the devil. 
So this is situated on the issue of faith. Then it says, for by it, what is it? Faith. The men of old received divine approval. So there's our answer. How were they saved? They had faith in God. But it goes on, it goes beyond faith, because as St. James says in James chapter 2, that even the demons tremble. They have faith. They know. They believe in God. But it's the the cooperation with God's grace, so faith and works cooperating together. We can't work for our salvation, but works completes our faith. And without good works, the faith is in vain. So that's why St. James says, you know, can can faith save you? The answer is no. So he says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So from that standpoint, we see beginning in verse 4, all of the things that these Old Testament figures did, by faith Abel offered to God. See, faith and works. Faith, Abel offered works to God, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he received approval as righteous, God bearing witness by accepting his gifts. He died, but through his faith he is still speaking. Then it goes to Enoch in verse 5. And it says, without faith it is impossible to please him, verse 6, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Then it goes to Noah. Then it goes to Abraham in verse 8. Then it goes from Abraham to Sarah. And from Sarah it goes to, back it stays with Abraham for a while. Then in verse 20 it goes to Isaac and Jacob and Esau. Then it goes to Joseph in Hebrews 11.22. Then it goes to Moses. And it goes on and on. And in, in this section, the letter to the, the writer to the Hebrews, rather, he talks about the terrible sufferings. Women received their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and scourging and chains and imprisonment. Some were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering over deserts and mountains, etc., etc. And here's how it concludes. It says, All these, although well attested by their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had foreseen something better for us, that apart from us, New Testament folk, they should not be made perfect. So the import of the passage is that all of these majestic figures of the Old Testament and all the countless unknowns besides them, they were all they will all be in heaven. They are in heaven. And they were waiting for Jesus to save them by his death on the cross so that they could go to heaven. So what about Adam and Eve? Well, even though Adam and Eve are not mentioned here by name, it seems that this is implied that they were in heaven. So there's no church teaching that says definitely Adam and Eve are in heaven. But I think the preponderance of the church fathers and the doctors of the church all would agree that Adam and Eve, who did receive that message of the Redeemer, that they are in heaven. So I think what we can say is that it seems almost certain that Adam and Eve are in heaven. And that passage, I think, is a good way to think about that. Does that help, Ben? That helps quite a bit, Patrick. Thank you. So what I what I take away from it is it's their faith, and then they must have done some good works along with that faith. And um, you know, just like what you were saying with Abel and and all that. So that's 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 how they that that was their ticket to heaven. Is, I is, think so. And who knows? You know, it's possible, Ben, that part of their punishment was to vanish from the biblical narrative. I mean, they're mentioned mm-hmm. here and there, but they just sort of vanish, and we don't really 
hear about any of their exploits. We know Adam lived a long time. We, we lose track of Eve immediately. We're told that Adam knew his wife Eve and they had children. And then Eve vanishes. And shortly after that, no mention is made of, of Adam for the most part. So that could have been part of their punishment, uh, that even though ultimately they did go to heaven, and I think they're in heaven, um, mm-hmm. I don't see any reason to think that they didn't make it to heaven. But that could be one reason why they just are not mentioned in in the way that the other figures are mentioned. Very so, good. Thank you so much, Patrick, as always. You got God it, Ben. Thank you. you. Appreciate that. Uh, how about Marie now in Santa Rosa, California? Good morning, Marie. Yes, good morning, Patrick. Um, we have a seventh grader uh, at a Catholic school, and this science teacher for the last year or two has been going through basic evolution, um, mm-hmm. according to the, the science book. Okay. He's not really been, I'm not sure of his faith, but he hasn't been kind of helping the kids with the confusion about our story of creation and how those <laughs> you know, seem to contradict themselves and the, and the kids, especially um, our, our uh, granddaughter um, is okay. really starting to doubt uh, her faith. And so I'm looking for... Because of, of evolution? Easy, is that what's causing her because, doubt? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, because he's, he did not, when some kids had questions, he did not kind of help them to see it through any other lens than through the scientific lens. Okay. Um, now, is it Darwinian evolution specifically that's being proposed to her? The godless, um, some, you know, somewhat, atheistic form? Yeah, okay. right. But also just going through the different creatures and the dif- different, um, you know, I don't remember, the, you know, the Jurassic periods or any of that, that where could Adam and Eve fit in there is kind of mm-hmm. what she's struggling with. How old is she, by the but, way? Uh, just turned 13. Okay, so I have some suggestions. For a resource, good. But yeah. One for her, but also maybe one I could email a link or something to her teacher so that he can help the other students as mm. well. Is the teacher the one who's promoting Darwinian evolution? Yes. I don't think I would bother with him just yet. Um, okay. And, and chances are he may be impervious to this. Maybe not. I don't know. But let me suggest to you an author. His name is Michael Behe, B-E-H-E. And he mm-hmm. is a scientist. I believe he is professor of, uh, let's see, no, he's professor of biological sciences. He got his PhD in, uh, what is it? Um, I mean, he's a, a for real scientist. Uh, he got his PhD mm-hmm. in biochemistry. That's what it is. And so he teaches um, somewhere near Allentown, if I'm not mistaken. He's written widely on this topic. That's his area of specialty. So I would go to, if you want to look at his books on Amazon, Darwin's Black Box is one of the major works of his. Um, Darwin on Trial uh, was written by Philip Johnson. But that's another good resource that would be similar to the books by Michael Behe. What's nice about Michael Behe is that he takes the scientific battle to this issue. And he knows the science, and he can discuss the science, and he can go toe-to-toe with those who try to use science to promote this atheistic idea of evolution. So in a a short period of time, because we're tight on time, I would suggest check out Michael Behe and his books. 
They are available also on Audible if you want to listen to them. So she might be more interested in listening to it. She might want to read it. I don't know. But those would be some good resources. Also, Father um, Father Robert Spitzer, S-P-I-T-Z-E-R. He is a, a Catholic priest who is truly an expert on dialogue with atheists. And he brings science and philosophy together in a very compelling way in his books, so that you can look at some of these claims that are made and bounce them up against science and things like logic and what what do we know would be true. So he's really good at that. And I think if you were to get any of his books, that would be a good thing as well. Some of the books that in particular that I have of his, at least that I would recommend, would be uh, one is uh, Science, I'm sorry, yeah, Science, Reason, and Faith. And that gets into this at a more basic level for younger people. He's also got a good one, and I want to find it here. Yeah, it's called New Proofs for the Existence of God, Contributions of Contemporary Physics and Philosophy. And in that, although he doesn't dwell extensively on evolution, he's going to bring into the scientific arguments some of these evidences for the existence of God. So Father Robert Spitzer, Father Michael Behe, either or both of them will be helpful. Okay, great. Yeah, I I have a couple of Father Spitzer's books, and they're mm-hmm. pretty heady for for a you know thirteen fourteen year old. With- right. That's why he did. Sorry to interrupt you. He did write some for younger people. So the great. one that I mentioned a minute ago uh, is specifically science. for younger people. That one is called Science, Reason, and Faith. Science, Reason, and Truth. Oh, oh and faith. And faith. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It. I hope this is helpful to you, Marie. Thank you. And to her especially. Uh, Let's go now to Cindy in Columbus, Ohio. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning. My uh, question, I work um, independently and I go in, I'm in people's homes. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my clients, uh, she is Catholic, but not a practicing Catholic. Her husband is atheist. And there are times when I'm there, um, you know, something might be said, you know, he gets upset. He's watching the news and get God out of, you know, uh, government and then he goes on a rant mm-hmm. about you know how get god out of government things. is that what he says y- yeah like some of the stuff you know it doesn't need to be mixed in with um you know different things that are being decided say okay. um you know in the court systems and things like that so he went on a big rant not long ago and just like very hateful rant of God Mm -hmm. and different times he'll say J you know, JC because Mm -hmm. he's angry. And also, Hey, you know, with that, I can say something when he went on this rant and this has happened a couple of times. I don't know what to say. And I feel very guilty for not saying anything. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I will say a prayer before I go in there (laughs) and just, you know, say a Mm -hmm. prayer for him. But I really am at a loss, you know, um, because I feel so guilty that I don't stand up. For, mm-hmm. for God, but I feel like I cannot, would not be able to match him. Yeah, he's very intelligent, and mm-hmm. he will go deep, and I, I can't. <laughs> I'm just not yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Understandable, and uh, you know, God is calling you to do what you can do, so mm-hmm. perhaps while you're there, you can be quietly praying for him, and asking mm-hmm. God to touch his mind and his heart with the truth. Uh, you know, I've I've met people like this, kind of cantankerous, and they spend so much energy yeah. raging against God, whom they don't believe in anyway, and raging against right. people who believe in God. I mean, that's a sign that, if you ask me, that's a sign that God is working on that guy, mm-hmm. that he's so 
preoccupied with God. Even though he doesn't like the idea yeah. of God, he's still preoccupied with it, and that's a good sign. Right. So perhaps you can be praying silently in the background. I, I could understand why you might feel guilty that you're not standing up to him, but you're not you're not called to, I wouldn't think, you're not called to go toe-to-toe with somebody who may be more formidable, you know, in that way. Mm-hmm. But you can pray. You could bring mm-hmm. some holy water with you. And when oh. he's not looking, you could bless the home. You know, yeah. that's a good thing. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. You could uh, wear your miraculous medal or your crucifix and he may comment on that. And that would, could open mm-hmm. up a conversation. So there's some yeah, creative things you could do. that I wear. Yeah. All mm-hmm. the time. So I've always mm-hmm. got that, you know. You can always say, God bless you when yeah. you're leaving. That might drive him crazy. Yeah. And, he, yeah. and he, may, <laughs> he may think about God even more. So. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I've just really struggled with that and thought, should I keep going there? I've been going for a long time, uh, helping them, but I, you know. Well, hang in there. You're doing good work, Cindy. I'm really glad to know that you found Relevant Radio in Central Ohio. That's awesome. Tell your friends. Well, until next time, I'll pray for you. Please pray for me. God bless you. (laughs) 